0: Why do you look for the living among the dead? Lord make me a mess. He got
1: him.
0: No, can't be serious. that's some bullshit is- In right the beginning in fact, we got- be- God Jesus. Bullshit. 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 You <inaudible> are not even real. It's no god. Starts
2: would you do us the honor of giving us a, a radio worthy yeah. uh, Back Pew introduction?
1: Okay, what is okay, what is radio worthy?
2: I don't work in All radio. Alright, you know what? I'm just gonna go. Okay.
1: Um <clears throat> Hey guys, this is Alex, and you are tuning into the Back Pew. This is a podcast where, um, if, if correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but the Back Pew is is more of just um like the, the bad kids of the church, sit are the people who are <laughs> either on their kids. way into the church or on their way out, but there's that back pew. So I'm super excited and to be here today. And we're excited
2: to have you. I don't excited. have...
1: You know what? I don't have a radio voice. I'm sorry. I feel like that was super disappointing, but my radio voice is my actual voice, so... I
2: have noticed that listening to you on the radio. There is no disguise. There's no affectation. Nope. It just... It just is your voice. It's, sure. it's
1: me and usually I'm tripping over my words. So, you know, I'm happy I do this professionally.
2: Uh, for for <laughs> anybody know. tuning into the back pew, for our back pew listeners, guys, hey, what's up? Welcome.
0: Welcome back. Uh, Sorry we- you have to listen to my voice amongst these two like professional voice. No, hold on. You have A lovely
1: I, voice. No, I this try. is
2: years of cigarettes and whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> if if that's professional preparation, mm. then I guess. But this um, is years of introversion and reading. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, is a lot of
1: speech therapy. So there you go. Oh, nice.
2: What is what is that?
1: Um, when I was in the second grade, I had to go to the speech truck during like recess because I had a lisp. So the they- speech
2: <laughs> truck. Did a man with a bucket of candy, like, convince you <laughs> to do this?
1: Isn't that what it sounds like? No. It was a lovely woman named Mrs. Sexton. And when you're, I think, no, whoa, eight... What? I, no. <laughs> wow.
0: When you're eight, or I guess when
1: you're in your 20s, you find that really funny, so... Yeah, yeah.
0: It, it was a Mrs. Sexton, though.
1: It was a Ms. Sexton. A Ms. That's,
0: a, that's, that's okay. better than oh, Mr. And she's, and she's Sexton. A, she's a single woman. Yeah, yeah,
1: I don't think my mom would have been like, "I'm sorry, Go who's bringing van. you into a truck? That's not happening." <laughs> the van with Mr. Sexton. Mr. Sexton, you can't. You can't do this. It's for speech
2: therapy. Yeah, I bet it
0: is. Yeah. You're never going back to that school. Weirdly, we've touched on a topic we can segue on after this. <laughs> wow. Why is it creepy if it's a guy? Oh. Well, it's because, all right,
2: we'll get into ah, we'll we'll, that. We'll we get into that. Uh, we are here on the back pew with a good friend of mine, Alex. Hi. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you? Thanks because for having I'm, me on. By the way, I do want your listeners to know that I feel like I have begged to do this for a year. So thanks for a, allowing me to
2: you, do this. You've been a constant support. You're a you're a, a, a huge friend of the podcast, and we appreciate it.
1: Like, good God, just make her shut up. We need to get her on. Honestly, I felt like th-
2: this was like a serious like this was like a serious pay cut for you because you're a professional radio personality. Alex is a, uh, she is a DJ, a radio personality Mm -hmm. uh, for uh, Kiss FM, one of the major radio outlets here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And are you guys syndicated? Are you guys nationwide?
1: Um, How it works, I mean, we are on XM, but how it works is um, I also do a syndicated type of a show. So I think... I do like a weekend show where I think it's like in over 100 cities or markets. I don't know. It's something crazy like that. So Kiss FM isn't, but like under the iHeart umbrella, we do multiple stations and markets.
2: How does it feel stepping onto the back pew platform for probably a hundred people. <laughs> it
1: feels well, like we'll this get is... more
2: than that.
0: Come on now. <laughs> I hope I can
1: pull more than that. Um, I, It feels like this is the pinnacle of my career. So I feel like I'm the up and up, guys. spiritual career, maybe? Probably. Right? Yeah. This is yeah. honestly, when I told my grandmom when I was in the second grade that I wanted to do radio, this is what she was hoping for. <laughs> Not, uh,
2: <laughs> my baby's talking to a pastor? <laughs> she would always yeah.
1: be like, I was like, Ma- Monty, I want to work at qnu too, which was like the Kiss of affiliate. M- and she's like, mm, no. How about like the family? What was it? Family Radio.
2: Fa- uh, like, uh, oh, our yeah. fish. Yeah, the yeah. fish. Or k
1: Love. It was. Yeah. like, k Love. How about k Love? I was like, no. Or Air One. Whatever mm. the
2: other Oh
1: called. my god, that was another yeah. one. there's some
2: good ones. Just banging that jars of clay. Safe just the Newsboys.
1: <laughs> I will say something weird. We we're playing a new artist called NF, and I looked him up last night cuz I was like, oh, this song is interesting and I looked him up and it was like Christian rapper and I was like, what? Whoa. Never thought we would be playing a Christian rapper on our station but apparently we are. Is it good? I get yeah, I guess Christian rap is going mainstream so something I never thought would happen but here we are. <laughs>
2: <sighs> Thank God. We got to get the word Christian out rapper? somehow. That's huh? like everywhere Lecrae
1: Lecrae, Lecrae. Yeah.
2: Everybody knows him I feel like Lecrae is like Widely respected Now among he is the hip hop community Yeah
1: But like I feel like It took a long time For him to get there I don't it know It did
2: But how old is he I don't know like, I feel
1: like he's been around since I was in elementary school. He's been around. That's for how a long, long it feels time. like had, It's like he's him around.
2: And, and grits for a long grits. time. Grits. Is that yeah. ooh? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Uh, I had a
0: girlfriend put that on a mixed CD for me when I was in high school.
2: The jam. Oh. Um so well, why are we I, here today? <laughs> we're just gonna talk Christian. about we're gonna talk about grits and other Christian <laughs> hip-hop <laughs> groups. Hip-hop why artists. did you think you were coming on? I today? don't
1: know. <laughs> four years in January. So, which is crazy because it feels like I've been here for six months. Um, I grew up in South Jersey, uh, about 10 minutes outside of Philly. Um, I grew up in a very evangelical Christian household, um, kind of like we had covered, you know, with my grandma wanting me to go into Christian radio as sure. opposed to top 40. Um yeah, I think it – and I went to Christian schooling my entire life, like literally from kinder play, which is before kindergarten, to my senior year of college, which is funny because when I tell people that, they're always like, what? Like, by choice? <laughs> like, they didn't – like, I don't know. Right. It's it's always a little bit of a shock. But yeah, I did. I did that and I literally went to a high school called Baptist High School. Which I feel like is, I know quote.
2: it's on the nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's up there. <laughs> Their um, branding is clear. <laughs>
1: yeah, pretty. It wasn't all
2: girls, was it? No, it was okay. not.
1: Um, and so, yeah, you know, but but all that, you know, I used to be I used to be pretty pretty conservative, and if you know me, you know that I'm not conservative anymore in politics, in my faith, whatever it might be. Um, but even when I was way more conservative than I was now. I because I was raised by for the most part a single mom or she definitely had a much larger presence in my life. Um she was always someone who would like bring me back in. So like when I went to school and they would say talk about like women's roles in the church, I would go home and I'd be like, "Is this a thing?" She's like, no, it's not." <laughs> you know, and just try to mm-hmm. make sure that that I didn't get suckered into to that. Um, so,
2: and I I have met your mom, Nance. Nance. Big ups to Nance. What's up, Nance? Love uh, Nance. Can't wait to see you again for Thanksgiving. Bring some of the those sweet sweet treats this year oh, again.
1: Yeah. Nance <laughs> is kind of the best.
2: She's great. Yeah. Um, the, well, I guess that brings us to the reason that we specifically wanted you on is mm-hmm. because of this perspective. Um, and you and I have talked about this at length. But um, I'm interested in the the perspective you have as somebody who uh to hear you describe yourself in your story, it sounds like you actually like stuck to conservative guns, pretty hardcore mm. like not just not in that you were just raised with it, but that you really took it on and defended it into what seems like at least early adulthood and yeah. young adulthood. So you know old enough to be an independent person and you're still espousing these beliefs, mm-hmm. which I never knew that Alex I feel like I've only ever really known this uh, this evolution of Alex.
1: Progressive Alex. <laughs> Progressive
2: Alex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so w- I guess I'm interested in what, what was that previous uh, pre-progressive uh, Alex? Like what did she look like? And what are some of those big differences between who you are now and who that person was?
1: That's a good question. Um, and I think that's a question I get a lot when friends that I've made later on in life don't know that version of me um I mean I still was me you know you can still have the same viewpoints but I think for me um I don't know I just I think that there was a lot like I said I I always had a mom that would kind of bring me back to things but I I grew up (sighs) ashamed of my body um I kind of bought into the whole Like women are responsible for, you know, a man's impure thoughts or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think especially with how the church talks about sex um, or I should say the evangelical church for the most part, I think how they talk about sex, it's more of a, you know, women you have to protect the men and it's almost like this, all this pressure is put on our shoulders that if they do something, it's kind of... It's not like they ever say, oh, it's your fault. But they're kind of saying it's your fault. Like, why did you dress a certain way? Why did you do this? Or, you know, I went to a a high school and, you know, really strict uh, dress code, which I am for, you know, I understand professionalism and dress code and all that. But it was just I always would pick up on how um, different bodies were treated differently, especially mine. And and so I think. Even though I was really conservative, I picked up on all those things. But I think a tremendous, I, I felt a tremendous amount of guilt for those things. And I think it took like a long time and and growing up for me to identify that and then see the church's role in that. And that's that's a weird feeling. Like that's kind of a heavy feeling. Like I said, um, Dan was there, but we at my church we do, you know, interesting person, and so someone gets up there and kind of shares a little bit of their story um, and where they're at. And I said for the past few years, I want to say like the past six or seven years, like I've really been breaking down my faith and rebuilding that. And that's like an incredibly painful process. And so I think sometimes with a lot of the Christian guilt, especially for women, that can be like a hard thing to kind of sift through and recognize and um, and figure out how that has affected my life on a broader scale. Um, so I think... Yeah, I think a lot of that was hard for me to reevaluate and kind of, I don't want to say grow out of, but but change my viewpoint. But it took a long time. Like this wasn't something that just happened overnight or I had some like, oh my God, I'm a feminist. Like that didn't happen. Like I remember even being in college and not understanding feminism and, and being anti-feminist and not understanding like why, do they be, why are they so angry? Like why do they have to be so angry? But yeah, so I think once I, I graduated high school and again, I was always someone though that questioned like the women's role women's role in the church. Like why can't we preach? You know, why, why did I go to a high school and I always thought it was so di- like ridiculous that I went to a high school where like women in their 60s could not teach teenage boys the Bible because of some weird verse that they like, Misinterpreted, um I always had pushback against that um I never you know, and so again, I always had these questions, which I'm sure I drove people insane with all my questions, <laughs> but then when I went to college it was it was I think it was just all these life experiences that kept happening. I think I was always someone that thought, well, we don't have it bad, like women don't have it like come on, like whatever, all the things that you hear they're just um. Those are just individual um, circumstances or whatever it might be. Like I didn't think it was something that was happening on on a broader scale or as a whole. Mm -hmm. And then when I got to college and I started experiencing things more and sexism, misogyny, and then I felt like – I felt like this anger where I was just like I'm once again in a Christian setting and like why – Do I feel this way when it comes to Christian men? Like why? Like I feel like we should be better than this, or you know what? You know what I mean? And
2: when you feel what way when it comes to Christian men?
1: Shamed or like? I mean, I think a example that off the top of my head I can think of, like I'll never forget, being in the cafeteria wearing just yoga pants and a hoodie i had just my hair up how dare you i know (laughs) it was really it was a lot well apparently a guy did think it was a lot because he came up to me i had never met this man i don't know his name i can't even remember what he looks like are
2: we we talking like a college peer or like a professor college he's he's a college dude college
1: peer came up to me and he was just like hi um you are dressed really inappropriately and you're really causing me to stumble right now and I would appreciate it if you did not, like if you wore something with like a higher neckline and also like didn't wear
2: those pants. Oh, dude didn't know how to just ask for your number. <laughs> 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 dude, he was, he was stumbling all right. Stumbling over how to be s- just freaking cool. Have swag. <laughs>
1: You know what though? I remember and that was I think the first time I had reacted so strongly and emotionally that I lost my shit. Like I don't even remember what I said. I started crying and I just was like fuck you. Like in the middle of a Christian cafeteria and people were like what is happening that I'm hearing these words right now. But like they just started spewing out and I think it was just this built up of I'm so like there's nothing I can do, right. and especially I think as a woman in the church, when you're constantly like, you have to look this way, you have to dress this. It was like you have to have your neckline up to here, but then you're frumpy or like, you know what I mean? And it was just this constant discomfort with my body that women outside of the church experience, like you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I think just women in general <laughs> experience, but when you, again, you slap Christ, like Christian on it, right? You know, it's can it I- hurts.
0: I have a question. It sounds like you were raised pretty much by, by women, like your grandma yeah. and your mom were like your two major forces. And
1: three aunts, too. And three aunts. Yeah. Why
0: did they... But they also were the ones kind of like keeping you. Obviously, they chose your high school and like your... Yeah. They it seems like they guided you towards religious or Christian academics. Yeah. How did they... Like, how did they reconcile that stuff? Because, like, like you said, you would go home and tell your mom, like, hey, this is what they're teaching. And she would shrug it off and be like, no, 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 let that.
1: Yeah, she would with that stuff. But And I also want to say that my mom's grown a lot, like I have. Um, And so I don't want to paint a false picture of who she is today. But back then, it was a lot of, well, what were you wearing? You know? Mm-hmm. Or what were mm-hmm. – like, I remember – here's another story. Not to just be like, let's bash Christian schooling right now. but No, let's do, um, let's do it. Let's do it.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Two decades in it. Let's do it. So, okay, yeah, this, is, is this is one of a, this is one of my favorite games we play on the too. <laughs>
1: so I actually so now it's it's funny because I do sometimes I'll I'll speak at girls' conferences and a lot of the time it is on body image and so I have I'm, if people are listening right now they've heard the story before I'm so sorry but um one time I was. I went, I was 18. I had just graduated, and for whatever reason, I was invited on the Spanish trip, which I don't know why, because I was not good. Like, I stopped after Spanish too, and I was like, I'm not good at this, so I'm not gonna so continue. Like, she might be Hispanic,
0: <laughs> we're not sure. She's really tan. <laughs>
2: She She has big gold (laughs) earrings. Could be.
1: We're like, maybe we'll just invite her. No, but for whatever reason, the Spanish teacher liked me. And I don't know. I don't know why. So she invited me to go to Europe. It was um, Spain, Italy, and France. And yeah, it was like We a- went to
0: like a Mexican restaurant for a <laughs> Spanish trip. Order in Spanish, kids. That was like it. Also, I love that you guys went
2: to France on yeah, your Spanish trip. That was trip. like,
1: it was like through those um those educational tours. But um so we're there, and I just remember, like again, the constant struggle for me to try to. I, I was always so. I would go to, like, the mall and try to find clothes and, like, end up crying. And, again, so many girls have been there. But I would just me try too. to find <laughs> – Yeah. I get that. <laughs> Do you, Dan? Yeah.
0: yeah you I think what? we've all had our issues with clothing. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. can't tell you how many pants I've hemmed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go on. It's okay. <laughs> on.
1: It's okay. We just trivialized that. But, um, no. It, but I would just go and I would cry in the dressing room because I would always try to find something that fit me and then was also modest. So I was just, like, trying to make everyone else happy and – it just, it. I never, it was hard to win. So I'm on this trip and I'm wearing a skirt. I remember what I'm wearing. Like I will never forget what I was wearing. I was wearing a gap skirt past my knees. I had an X, double XL like gray cami on because I wanted to make sure it was loose enough where they wouldn't say, oh, this is too tight. You can't wear it. It's too yeah. sexy.
2: Um, and you then can't I had tell a, there's a body under. Yeah, it. That's exactly. Kind of, that's the look you're going that for. That was
1: exactly the look I was what going for. What is it? Is it a body? <laughs> is it shape? Is She's it just a, a galaxy. Shape.
2: <laughs> Who knows?
1: <laughs> and then I had a cardigan on, so I just remember though because again, like this constant back and forth, but because the the cami was so big, it kept going down and it kept showing a little bit too much cleavage. So I just kept like pulling it back up. And I just remember, you know, throughout the trip, they were always like, Alex, like watch what you're wearing. Watch what you're wearing. I was always singled out. And then I was getting off the bus. God, I think we were in the middle of France somewhere, like driving to Italy. And I get off the bus and I just feel like this, my Spanish teacher's hand like dig into my arm and she just yanks me to the side. And she was like, like had this like look of fury, like just pure anger on her face. And she's like, how dare you? I have told you so many times not to wear this. You know, wh- why are you defying me? And I just started going like, I'm not, I'm sleep deprived. I'm emotional. I'm naturally an emotional person. I just start crying. I was like, I promise you I'm not. And she literally, and she was insane, but she literally looked at me and was just like, Alex, all you will be is like a potted plant. You will only be pretty to look at and nothing more. And then just sent me on my way and I just like went and cried in the bathroom and like I called my mom and she said, well, what were you wearing? And it was just like, I literally was like, that's not the point, mom. Like my Spanish teacher just told me I will only be pretty and nothing more. And it was just, I think as I look back and I've, been i'm 27 years old now that was almost 10 years ago but i've interacted with more parts of the world obviously like i'm not in that christian school bubble anymore and i think for me to look back and be like that would be incredibly disappointing in any setting but the fact that it was a christian school teacher who said that to me yeah you know that was what and again that's i i also don't want to say that that's all i had a lot of really great teachers Mm -hmm. but like I think sometimes that's where I feel so burned as a woman. Mm. Um, and I'm, we're going to get deeper into this conversation, I'm sure, within the next hour. But it was just all those moments that started to build up where I started being like, okay, this isn't just like one-time things that are happening. I'm seeing a pattern here. There's a, there's clearly... The older I got, the more I realized that this is a pattern. This is a problem. These aren't just isolated instances. Um, and I think... That sometimes, as a sidebar, when I was conservative, I looked at all of these things as just isolated instances. Mm-hmm. People are bad, obviously, but these are iso- – this doesn't speak to a greater issue. And then I started realizing, like, no, this definitely speaks to a greater issue. Like, there's a problem here. Um and so yeah, I think that slowly and as I moved with my job, I went to school in Kentucky and then moved to Virginia, to Austin, Texas, to LA. I slowly got more liberal as I went out. Weird. You know, yeah. weird, as you as you climbed
2: happened. the the liberal, liberal like
1: ladder. <laughs> Dante's Inferno
2: of Liberalism. You like move through the circles of progressiveness.
0: I,
1: seriously. But it was just, you know, I think for me just constantly having those conversations and then those unfortunate life experiences whether it was in the church or the workplace or life what you know whatever it was for me to be like oh my god all these women that kept speaking up before and saying like we deal with sexism we deal with misogyny I think for me I just had a lot of internalized misogyny that was dealing with and so if someone said something to me I would take that on like I'd be like oh it is my fault you know or what it, it was just like oh I need to I need to dress more appropriately. I need to be this, like I, you know. And so, I think it was just me slowly pulling myself out of that viewpoint. And so, back to your question, Cole, and I think that's why I think even if there's women who are Christian women raising me, there's still a lot of internalized misogyny too that can kind of come with that. And I think some a lot of the time in this case, it it was linked back to the church, which well, is unfortunate. Yeah, no, I
0: didn't. I didn't mean to say like. Um- if you have strong women in your in your life, they'll neutralize the negative impact. Right. But more so, like, why would they? Why do you think they kept you in it? Or like, what value Got did it. they see in it? Because conscious women, they'd be like, ignore that. Some of that's bullshit. Yeah. But Baptist, the Baptist denomination is notoriously conservative. And, yeah. I mean, so I, it's an interesting strain. For like, I thought about that with my mom a lot. Was like, mom, yeah. why'd you stay in this shit? Like, yeah. Dad is wildly conservative, and you are the breadwinner, and you're very, you're more mm-hmm. educated, and like you read way more, you know way more of scripture. Like, why are you subscribed? It took me so long.
1: Yeah. I think also, like, my family are big believers in Christian schooling. Like, there was, before I went to Baptist, I went to King's Christian. And, um, thank you. I went to King's Christian, and my, I think it was, like, my great-grandfather had started that school. And then, so, I was going to graduate King's Christian, the first third generation to ever graduate that Mm. school. And that was, like, a really big deal. But then, I was really good at the arts, at music and drama and Baptist High had like still has a fantastic arts program. And also my church that I went to ran that high school. And so all my youth group friends went there. And Mm. so it just made sense for me. So it was heartbreaking when I went to my mom and I was like, this is what I want to do. But again, it was just like they, my family has just always been huge believers in Christian schooling and I still I mean I am, I think like to an extent. I've seen the damage, but I've also seen the incredible benefits of it. Um but yeah, I would say that's
0: probably why. Gotcha. Let's
2: let's unpack the the um idea of um internalized misogyny because because I'm not a woman, I don't Mm -hmm. fully I guess I don't fully understand what we're talking about when we use that terminology. So sometimes I I don't (laughs) Yeah, because I feel like I understand misogyny from the male point of view. And I think that like part of my exploration of, of gender issues and feminism is learning to own up to my misogyny and take, take uh, responsibility for areas where I am lacking and try to move into the areas where like I have more strength. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking about internalized misogyny, what are some of those things that that looks like? In um, for for a woman who is a feminist, when you are pointing out internalized misogyny among other women as like a barrier towards feminism.
1: Okay, so maternalized misogyny would sound like, oh my god, that girl dressed like a slut. Like, did you see what she was wearing? Or um,
2: and it's it seems like guys are quick to like latch onto that. Uh huh. It's it seems like that. I mean. I feel like I see men pick up on that uh-huh. and are like, well, a woman said it.
1: Or I'm not like most girls. Yeah. Or um, here's one that I kind of have been super conscious of um, in how I say this. Uh, I think for girl, like, oh, I'm not that girl. Like, I don't go out. I don't really sleep around, you know? Because mm-hmm. I think then, especially when you're talking to a guy, like, you know, I if I say that, it's like, That doesn't make me better than anyone else. That's just a personal opinion. Like, it's almost like you have to be so careful with how you say that, too. Because if you say, like, if you're trying to just get the attention of a man, like, because when you say that, it's like, men will be like, oh, almost like that makes you more special than other women. Mm. And it kind of all goes back into the patriarchy. And so I feel like when we talk about internalized misogyny, for me, I mean, and we live in a patriarchal society. So, and especially within the church, too, when you grow up in something you kind of, I don't use the word brainwash, but it's like when you eat, it's drink, normalized. it's normalized. Right. Yeah. Right. Like certain how you speak to people or how you are spoken to or how you're treated, it's normalized. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I mean when I talk about internalized misogyny. And it took a lot of me breaking that down and calling out m- my own internalized misogyny because of the setting I grew up in. I mean, mm. that's, I mean, that's really that and it's it's something that I still have to work on um and and be conscious about when I feel those thoughts creep in or or whatever it might be towards other women yeah um so yeah I mean does that answer your question
0: yeah that makes sense okay
1: good
2: you, how, uh, even currently, because I would imagine that this is something that like you're still like grappling with, because mm-hmm. you know you're still a young woman. Like this is all For a process. Sure. Um, how do you make peace with that? As like somebody who is, uh, you know, still actively engaged, going to a church community, still like professes to be uh, a Christian in in a fairly non-religious work environment, and in mm-hmm. like in terms of um, you know most of your world. How do you reconcile uh, a faith that is centered on a book that has so much kind of sexist Mm. bullshit in it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it really, really does. Um, I think my church has definitely helped with a lot of those questions. Um, Something that we... um, a, A phrase that they say they actually like is we take the Bible literally, but not... Or we take the Bible seriously, we don't take it literally. And so I think for me, it was, I started looking at like the trajectory of the Bible to look at the overall theme, like the overall theme of the Bible, look at the Bible of who wrote what in what context, um, not, and also not excusing the bullshit in, in, or the things that made me angry in the Bible. Um, And I think quite simply, I kind of had to cling, not to sound super preachy, but, I had to just bring it back to Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. I think for me, there was something, there's an, There's something incredibly comforting and encouraging when you look at Jesus and you read the stories of Jesus, how like, it wasn't men that went to the tomb to find Jesus and who he revealed himself to after he, you know, he rose from the grave. It was women. Mm-hmm. You know, it, he always went to the fringe so to speak he always was meeting women at the well the people who were rejected by society the quote-unquote prostitutes or whoever it was and i think that there's something as there's something for me that is like okay this is why i'm still here Mm -hmm. um and i think it's just a lot of relearning and i'm still in the i'm still in the process so you know i hope i would hope if you talk to me in a year i would be a lot more knowledgeable too or learn a lot more but for me, again, it's just – it's really looking at things in context and and breaking down what I thought I knew about the Bible and and also knowing that it's okay to be angry at, I don't know, for example, like when – with Sarah and Abraham, when she couldn't have kids, she was like, here's my slave. Mm-hmm. Like, that was rape. You know what I mean? Like, if we just want to call it what it is, like, she probably – she was a slave. Like, mm-hmm. she didn't have – she couldn't say no. Like, you know – I don't feel like having sex with you and bearing your children. I mean, I don't know, but just reading, to go back and know that story from the time yeah, you were five years old. Yeah, the story checks out. Yeah, you know, yeah. but like to go, to hear that story your whole life and then as an adult woman go back and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. What? You know what I mean? Like, how did I miss this? Like, I know the story, you know, whatever it might be. Um, And so I think it's just a lot of like, making sure that I'm okay with wrestling with that, finding a group of people that I feel safe asking those questions with and who are actively trying to tackle that with me um, and not just give me some bullshit like Christian answer of, well, some things we just can't explain, which is true. You know, of course there are some things we can't explain, but I sometimes feel like that's just like a lazy way out of just not wanting – Right. Not wanting to tackle God works yeah. in mysterious yeah. ways. God works in mysterious does it, does ways. doesn't make for a he great worked, conversation. Yeah. <laughs> like, why don't we just say, like, I think sometimes um, people in the Bible made choices and then just slapped God's name on it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. you know, how But we just say that? I, you know, I don't, you know, I, I just think, though, for me, it's just actively looking deeper.
2: We were talking about this earlier because I feel like um as a as a six foot seven broad dude, I was like, dude, like reading like all these um me too posts, especially ones about just um, obviously like when we're talking about real severe cases of sexual assault and rape that's monstrous yeah. mm-hmm. and like uh, i i I was more like obviously I think it's like most of us agree on both sides of the gender divide that's monstrous mm-hmm. and it was it was more the post about like guys like just like don't don't talk to me like don't put your hand on my shoulder like mm-hmm. just like stuff like that like just don't you're so creepy and i was like oh my god well i'm like this huge man i'm sort of aware of the fact that to some woman who doesn't know me on the street like yeah. I might as well be a great white shark. Like yeah. I'm just this big predatory monster person. Yeah. And they have they they have no idea. So I'm kind of cuz I think it's interesting if you and I were hanging out together and we were like out at a bar and I like saw a girl at the bar and you and me are just chilling and I was like, "Oh man, Alex, that girl over there is so cute." Mm-hmm. And like I I feel like your advice to me would be like well, like go talk to her. Mm-hmm. Cause you know me and you love me. Yeah. And like we're close. You know I'm not going to hurt somebody. But it's like in in this it's like, should I even here's do a, that?
1: Here's a good rule of thumb. So if I'm approached in the bar, ideally, it would be like so again, someone kind of coming up to me and be like, Hey, uh, hope this isn't intrusive. Can I buy you a drink? If I say no, they'd be like, all right. Have a good night.
2: Yeah. Be willing. Like, it. Be, it, <laughs> like, yeah. This You know is... what I mean?
1: And that's that's the the problem is it's not like the initial person coming up to you. That's not the problem. What the problem is is so often as women it doesn't end there. Yeah. You for whatever reason men because I think sometimes it comes down to this like this feeling of they feel like they have like this ownership over us. Like, how dare you not give me the time of day? And like, that's what almost like what's subconsciously fueling through, through their bodies. In my experience, it's not the, okay, because if that happened, I'd be like, you know, whatever. Maybe I just want to be with my girls. And I'd be like, oh, you know, whatever. I wouldn't be like, wow, what an asshole. That guy asked to buy me a drink. I'd be like, wow, what an asshole. If that guy was like, come on. Re- yeah. Like, really? Dr- Who are you here with? Do you have a boyfriend? Is it a boyfriend? And Dan, do you know how many... Like, you know I've been single for a minute. Do you know how often... Actually, that guy who approached me at the restaurant a couple weeks ago, I finally had to say, I'm sorry I have a boyfriend. And isn't it so interesting that so many men... The moment another man is introduced into the equation, you you have respect for some invisible person that doesn't exist, but you think exists. You have more respect for that man than you do for the person who kept... Just having to be like, because, do you know what? And it's like, I have so many guys be like, well, why didn't you just say no? Because I have said no and it's not enough. And I'm followed home or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like, I have to introduce some man who doesn't exist to get another man off my back. And so in those situations, if you immediately pick up on this body language, it's like, oh man, she's not here for meeting dudes tonight, whatever. But if... If if that's it, just be like, hey, okay, cool. Sorry to bother you. Have a great night. But like not, you know what I mean? And I think that that's enough. No, yeah. I've had men come up, you know, come up to me or just not come up up to me and just like approach me on the street because that's jarring. But like if I'm interacting with them or I don't know, just be like, hey, uh, hope this isn't creepy. Find very beautiful. Just wanted to say that. And like, that's that, you know, um, there is something I, I, and then like kind of leaves it there and that's cool, that's great or just like says you know I was wondering if I could give you my number because I think that's a good thing to leave it in our hands and you know we're not like who the hell are we giving our number to right now you know are they going to call me or stalk me or that's happened to me before sure. um, but I think that if you're well intentioned about it and you're not creepy then you shouldn't have something to worry about and if the response isn't what you want then understand where that woman's coming from. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be insensitive or be like, suck it up, Dan. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But it's just like, you know, I think that for, I'll only speak for myself. But because of what I've been, what women have been through and just like the amount of times I've been harassed or whatever, you know, you, you want to talk about or get into, we can feel a little skittish when men come up to us. You know, I was I was waiting for um, one of my guy friends at a restaurant in in Hollywood a couple of Fridays ago, and he was like, "I'm so sorry, I'm running, I'm running 20 minutes late." And so I like walked in, and this man just like manifested in the in just out of nowhere. I was kind of like, "Where the hell did you come from? Like yeah. from the shadows?" And he was just like, "I never, I, I never do this, but have we met before?" And I was like,
2: "Yeah." Also, that guy totally does that. All yeah, the all time. the time. And
1: that's exactly what I thought of. I was like, "You do this." multiple times and I just was like no, no, we've never met and he wasn't, you know, I was just kind of going to be like oh god please pick up on my body language right now that I'm extremely uncomfortable and the fact Mm, that I said we've mm -hmm. never met and please let that be that and it wasn't like he then continued and he's like well what do you do? Do you live here? Do you live in blah blah blah? I was like nope I don't live there and continued to go and go and go (laughs) and it's like For me, from the moment he walked up to me and just continued to push and push and push and just didn't see my obvious discomfort that I'm looking over my shoulder, I'm looking at my phone, I'm rummaging in my purse and kept going at it and then finally was like, can I have your business card? And I was like, I'm sorry, I ran out. All right, can I have your number? No. Like, it's just like, why did we even have to get here? So I feel like, again, it was just like, it wasn't like, hey, I'm so sorry. You're you're very pretty. I hope that's okay to say. Oh, thank you. And then he's on his merry way. Like if I felt whatever or if it was just like, oh, this is okay. I'm gonna, can I give you my number? Whatever. That's not threatening because that's just like, here, I'm going to give this to you and then you can do with it what you like and mm-hmm. then disappear back into the shadow. But it's just, yeah, I, th- I think again, sorry, the long-winded rant. But I just feel like if you're coming about it in a genuine way – um, in a kind non threatening way you 'll be you're you're fine
2: um men have created uh we 've created this this um we 've created this culture for ourselves where you have to be you have to be intensely confident and you don't quit and we have sort of those those rules apply to everything, professionally. Mm-hmm. There's this whole attitude of like, whatever you want, you gotta go take it. Just do it. it, Nike. You gotta go get it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, that, like I recognize that that applies to like professional things. It's like, uh-huh. yeah, you gotta have confidence. You gotta know yourself. But there's also like, notice any, any rom-com that's like written by a man. A man? <laughs> there's some scene where like the girl is at a bar and she kind of is like being aloof and like a little bitey. And he like, talks her into liking him. Yeah. He like charms her. Yeah. There's this, there's, there's this concept that men have the ability to change the world around them. They have, they believe that if they just, if, if they talk right, if they say the right thing, if they're cool enough, confident enough, if they just keep trying.
0: Well, that's wooing though. That's a, I mean, there's a douchey way to try to like hit on somebody. And I think there's a classy way to woo somebody because, my fiance also told me no. Like I kissed her, the next day she was like, "No, it's not happening. That was a bad idea. Too many drinks. Not going to work." And then we started talking, and a week later she's like, "We shouldn't even talk. We should just I'm just going to do my work, you do your work." And I we had conversations where I essentially pushed through both of those nos. And there are times where I would admit I shamelessly hit on her either via text or through like flirtations at work or whatever. And she always says like, the way you played this is not a way I would tell anyone else to play it. Yeah. But it worked. And I I don't regret anything I did, even the awkward moments, even like being persistent and pushing through a note. And granted, it's not a green light for all dudes to follow you home. That's fucking creepy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: When that hashtag Me Too went around, I saw something that really struck a chord with me. The stories you heard are the stories we can bear to tell. Yeah. You're not even hearing, like we're scratching the surface there. Like when I put me too, like the I was, you you know what I mean. And I mm-hmm. I had I know friends who have been sexually assaulted that didn't even participate in the ha, in yeah. the hashtag. And so it's like, here we have a huge cultural problem. And I think to bring this back to the church, what was so disappointing for me to me was seeing evangelicals respond to that and how they respond or by basically just ignoring it. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. I think a huge not to get political with it too, but like we have a president who's literally sitting in the White House who multiple women have said this man sexually assaulted me, including his ex-wife, and he has admitted on tape. Including himself. Including himself, and he's admitted on tape. And so it's like when that – listen, when that happened, when when he won the election, me and so many women – I, that was the first time I genuinely cried and I went to therapy the next day and I saw something, oh, you snowflakes, blah, blah, blah. No, I was so devastated because I wanted to believe that we were as a nation heading in the right direction. And I said, there was cold, hard evidence of what this man literally bragged on tape and we elected him to the highest office in our country. And guess who? The majority of the people who did that were white evangelicals. And for me, like to bring this back to like, Christianity and feminism and how that goes in, that's, that's incredibly painful to feel like what I grew up in, the faith that I identify with, the, the God I worship is also the, the God that they claim that they worship. Yeah. And that's hard for me as a woman. I'm getting so angry because today, once again, someone, I think someone posted another article of another woman coming forward about Harvey Weinstein. And I said, "Ugh, men! like, why do men feel like they have ownership over us or whatever? And a man just chimed in and was like, well, not all men. And I wanted to throw myself out the window because I was like, you fucking idiot, you missed the entire point. We know, not all men. Like, we know. But you say that because for whatever reason, there's something inside of you that gets so defensive. You can't just listen. Like, you can't, why can't you just say, wow, there's a huge issue, huge cultural issue here. Why do you feel the need to derail the conversation? And it's just like, the fact though that I see so much of that from people that I'm like, we should be... Like, but with what we believe we should be better than this, and we're not, and we're actually worse, that is so, that's so difficult for me.
2: Ladies, you can go ahead and take this time as a brief reprieve. You're doing great. Turn me down for the next couple of minutes and do what you would like to do to reward yourself for making it this far into this podcast. Take some deep meditative breaths. Gaze at the horizon and daydream or scream full bore into the soft secret keeping embrace of a pillow. Thanks so much for listening. Men, yes all men, we have some work to do. Have you ever been driving in your automobile and noticed another automobile with a destroyed back end as though someone had crashed into it? What's your initial thought? Oh that sucks, poor person, bummer. Or perhaps it's vice versa. Do you immediately assume that person must have backed up into something Maybe they cut people off dangerously in traffic or slam on the brakes too hard because they get distracted with their phones. Sure, sometimes the nature of the damage can give it away, but we can never know for sure, though generally, our assumption has something to do with our personal experiences as a driver. But what if we lived in a world where driving 100 miles an hour was encouraged? Braking was considered old-fashioned or lame, and drivers who did rear-end another driver were by and large never found responsible, and if they were, they were let off pretty easy. Then it would be harder to assume the driver of the damaged car was truly at fault, right? Because so many things would be working against them so regularly. Some might even say this sort of society could develop a crash culture. Okay, I'm laying it on pretty thick at this point. You get it. And to be clear, I'm not comparing women and their experiences to cars and fender benders. I'm creating an analogy about the basis of assumptions. And there is a reason I am talking to all men. This is an interesting time in human social interaction, and we are exploring a new frontier in how men and women are learning to relate to one another, I hope. And there are many buzzwords being used that might sting the earholes a bit. Misogyny, patriarchy, toxic masculinity, rape culture, and a lot of the anger surrounding these words can get a guy to stand up, hike up his pleated khakis up around his gut, and cry, NOT ALL MEN. See this defensive online rhetoric of hashtag not all men has gained steam because truly there are many men who have never personally victimized a woman in a heinous or egregious way, like assault or out and out harassment. I agree, there are good men out there. I would very much like to be one of them. And if you are listening and you consider yourself one of them, please stay with me because we are going to have to work together. For about 100,000 years, the males of our particular primate tribe have been growing physically bigger and stronger than our female counterparts. Our bodies create more testosterone, which aids physical musculature and aggression. This worked great for hunter-gatherers who divided tasks among killing animals and taking care of kids and rummaging for roots and berries, but it started to go a little off the rails when we as human beings started tinkering with agriculture and stumbled upon civilization. From that point on, the bigger, stronger half of the sex just sort of took control of the more emotionally nuanced and civil half and parceled it out amongst themselves. They invented religions, laws, philosophies, war, and there are very few instances in history where they stopped to ask women what they thought of that. Obviously, I'm glancing over huge swaths of history in this approximation, and yes, there were powerful queens, priestesses, and female thinkers in every culture throughout all time, but we can all agree those instances were rare. There are some cultures that somehow managed to follow the law and teachings of women and bestowed on them the more esteemed places in society, aka matriarchies. But for the vast majority of us, our entire world was shaped, explained, written about, and passed down by men. The patriarchy. Rape culture and toxic masculinity are a bit harder to nail down, but they basically serve as terms for a culture that presupposes rape to be an unquestionable reality of a culture's existence, and a masculinity that defines and measures its worth in terms of violence and conquest, sexual or otherwise. Now, back to Assumptions. Many men, myself included, have spent a great deal of our lives assuming that men and women live in the same world. We do not. Simply saying and believing we are equal does not do away with millennia of prejudice, legal restriction, and gender-based sexual violence. For stats and figures, please read Rebecca Solnit's incredible book, Men Explain Things to Me. I like to call it, Men Are From Mars, and Women Are Living Through the Movie Mars Attacks. Violent crime aside, the average woman faces a barrage of comments ranging from casual comments and jokes about her body and intelligence, many from strangers, co workers, and people in authority, all the way to vulgar discussions of their reproductive functions. Women are far more likely to experience harassment than men, far more likely to be the victims of violence than men, and far more likely to be discriminated against in the workplace than men. We do not live in the same world. So, good men. We have to stop saying not all men, and we have to start looking for ways to help, and defending ourselves from feeling bad is not one of them. By and large, the greatest privilege that most men feel on an average day, particularly in the developed world in the United States, is something so ubiquitous to us as men that we don't even know it's a privilege. It's safety. Most men do not know the sensation of having to walk a parking lot with their keys in between their knuckles, or having to keep their eyes glued to a drink in a bar, or worry that a woman they know might try to force their sexuality on them, or respond with violence if rejected. These are ways of life for many women. How might the world look if all the guys fighting for hashtag not all men just made sure that every woman in their vicinity felt safe? I'm not saying tell women they're safe, that's a little weird, but what if our attention went not to looking like a good guy, but making sure women knew they weren't going to be threatened by us? What if women could finally assume we weren't going to grab them, or yell at them on the sidewalk, or try to get them to drink too much? What if we responded to their anger and frustration with a broken world, not by defending ourselves but by behaving in a way they knew we wouldn't seek to demean them with our words and actions, and we would teach boys to be men who did the same? If we want to believe the world is equal an opportunity for men and women, that boys and girls get to dream the same dreams for their future and their lives, then we better start trying to make the improvements necessary to make sure we are all living in the same world. Ah, ladies, thanks for joining us again. Hope you had a good breathing, daydreaming, or screaming session.
0: Speak a little bit to that? Please your I think your passion and your vulnerability and your anger is uh, very appreciated. I appreciate you sharing it. I appreciate you being raw. Um, I think it's justified. I think what... the only part of that that I can fully understand is what that comment that pissed you off was because when you're saying that's not the point it people, I think people that have like sat with those comments enough understand anger just needs to be vented. Mm-hmm. It's just people are pissed off. Like it's hard to sit back and try to have like a rational conversation. Cause then you end up with like blue lives matter and hashtag all lives matter. Like yeah. you're trying to rationalize something that is like yeah. a reaction to systemic persecution and, and rage. Yeah. And there's, right or wrong is not a logic and rage. Sometimes you just have to get it out there because there's no conversation at all. So at least anger like catalyzes a conversation. Mm -hmm. And then when the dust settles, then you can go like, okay, sometimes if I read 15 Facebook posts in a day that say, "Ugh, men are the worst. Or that one L'Oreal model. Who's like all white men are racist and they do violence to everyone. You read enough of those and you, even like your nuance and your patience and the, sitting and being collected and being like man this person's had a really rough life i want to understand why they would say that you hear enough of it and it just if you're not like the utmost patient and mature person you're like fuck you guys i'm not doing anything i'm sitting here at my nine to five ain't doing shit single as fuck chilling out watching baseball who am i harassing and so when they you like inundated with it and there's a have you heard the term white fragility yeah that's like the new thing because people are understanding too White fragility is a term coined by Dr. Robin D'Angelo in an attempt to describe the sensitivity white people tend to have when discussing racism, especially in regards to taking responsibility for systemic racism in America today. White fragility can be experienced on multiple different levels when expanded to white male fragility, which is a result of white men processing responsibility for systemic injustices done not only against all non-white races, but all women and non-gender conforming peoples that's a lot of people and a lot of pain to take responsibility for to me the first thing that legitimized the term white male fragility were the stats that showed white men are committing suicide in record numbers as seven of ten suicides in 2015 were white men according to the american foundation for suicide prevention why is that Why are white men constantly in the news for committing mass murders, abusing women, or taking our own lives? These actions don't make sense, especially if white men are the most powerful and privileged group in America. My best guess is that these are signs that we're finally waking up. Go with me on this. In the film, The Matrix, there's a scene when Neo first wakes up in Zion, which is the real world, and discovers the world he's been living in is a program. It's a system to keep him asleep and drained of all his freedom, identity, and real power. If somehow you still haven't seen The Matrix, the main character, Neo, is played by Keanu Reeves, who is one of the whitest men alive, and Morpheus is played by Laurence Fishburne, so I feel like this analogy works on many different levels. Anyway, after Neo has a major mental breakdown during his awakening, Morpheus explains his painful transition by saying, We have a rule.
2: We never free a mind once it's reached a certain age. It's dangerous. The mind has trouble letting go. I've seen it before and I'm sorry. I did what I did because I had to.
0: When I look out at the current cultural condition of white men in society, especially middle-aged and older white men, it feels like we've been jarred awake from a deep slumber through a barrage of serious, long overdue questions about our identity and place in the world. Questions like, what is manhood? Is it good to be masculine? And is it weak to be feminine? And what what does it mean to be white? And are all white people racist? And does that mean that all white people are inherently bad? And can even the, the poorest, most isolated white man contribute to a racist, sexist system? These are complex and unsettling questions for white men to internalize and attempt to answer. They deconstruct the reality we've known for so long. And they're often met with anger or worse, rage. And that's actually what I want to talk about. Rage. Because I believe when looking for a cure, the best way to start is to press where it hurts. Let me first make a distinction between anger and rage. I believe anger is inherently good, and Pastor Tim Keller defines anger as love in motion against a perceived threat, against that which we love. Anger protects the innocent and the good from unjust persecution. Keller says that our anger only becomes a bad thing when we have distorted loves. When we love something that isn't right, just, fair, real, or healthy. Loving the wrong things causes rage, especially when those things are taken away or attacked. Dr. Michael Hurd, who is a clinical social worker and has written extensively about the distinction between anger and rage, especially as they relate to religious violence, writes, rage is qualitatively different from anger rage involves not just a more intense feeling of anger it's actually a response to profound inner anxiety whenever one feels powerless or helpless particularly as a victim one will tend at least in part to feel rage anxiety discomfort and victimization those are the three key ingredients to creating rage so to recap when you love the matrix and someone tries to show you it's not real or what's best for you you may experience anxiety, discomfort, and victimization causing rage to boil within you. The rage within the white male community is leaving a trail of breadcrumbs leading us all back to the matrix we thought was the land of the free and the home of the brave. After all, people fought and died so the matrix could exist, but somewhere along the line the desire for productivity, i.e. machines in this analogy, took over. And people became slaves became commodities became things became forgotten obviously i don't have the answer for racism or sexism or white male fragility all i know is that questions are powerful so for us white men as uncomfortable as it may be we need to question the presence of rage in our hearts if anger is only dangerous when we love the wrong things then where might be the unhealthy or unjust places we have put our love? Where does it feel like someone is trying to wake us up to a painful reality? That's probably where we should start looking and listening first. Anyway, back to Alex.
1: I think, so let me, so there's a lot of layers to that. Um, I can relate to that in the sense of, again, I was not the, I was pretty conservative back in the day. I was dealt with a lot of internalized misogyny. I think the only way I can relate to what you're saying right now is I did not understand racial, like the racial divide. And I was really always like, well, I'm not a racist. Like, and I, why do my black friends say they can't stand white people? And I felt like this like anger and rage. And I was just like, when I saw enough of it, and I was like, I don't fucking understand. Like, why do they keep saying this? I'm a good person. I'm not doing anything. And then I'll, I realized that even if I wasn't being overtly racist, I was still contributing to that racist society by not saying anything, right. by staying in my lane, by by not even trying to understand why so many black people or people of color were saying this. And it took a long time and a lot of same thing. A lot of people holding my hand patiently that I probably didn't deserve to be like, hey, Alex, yes, you're not someone who like, has ever heard a black person or yelled the N-word or did this, but here's how you contribute to that society. Yeah. It's the same thing with men. And again, at the end of the day, feminists want to strip down, you know, we we want to break down the patriarchy because that benefits men too. Because you're right. You know, the, I, the, the insane amount of pressure and how men always have to be tough. They can't show emotion. They have to be this. They have to be the best at everything. It's like, that's bullshit. That's so... Insane, like why? Like I was talking to one of my friends the other day, and he was just like, "Man, I love, I love hanging out with my friend." It was another guy friend. He's like, "We can be so vulnerable with each other." And then he's like, "Oh man, did that sound gay?" What? And then he was like, "Why did?" <laughs> oh, then he goes, then he goes, "But then he goes, he goes, why did I say that? Why did I say that?" First off, I was so insensitive, and also I can't believe I've been programmed this way. And it was so yeah. funny because I was Saul. It all like the, the wheels start turning in real time. Like he said it because he's been conditioned to say it, and then he caught it, and then he got upset. And <laughs> it was just like, it's was like, no, you're allowed. He's like, I'm a guy. I didn't have vulnerable guy friends. Why is that a problem? I was it's like, like that. It, there was that
2: huge period of time where for some reason everybody like I'd have to be like, Colton, I love you, bro. No homo. Like yeah. what? Why?
1: Why? <laughs> like, so like to answer your question, I think the problem is when you when if you're a white man and you're listening right now or any man and you feel this sense of like you know this this anger because you're seeing this maybe be stop and pause to be like okay, what am i contributing to like or like or what why are they so angry like why are they so upset like or what have i done because i'm gonna say something just like i'm not blameless You guys aren't blameless, you know? And so, and I think that's kind of like what it comes down to is what's so frustrating is there's something when there's, again, and with me, with when it came to racial things, there was this incredible defensiveness in me. And why was there that defensiveness? Yeah, Because I wasn't blameless. I wasn't perfect. In fact, I'm pretty open about that because I'm someone who's like Black Lives Matter all day. But I can tell you that in college, that was not the case. And put a little bit post too. It took a lot, it took a long time. And so again, I'm 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 using that as an example because I feel like that's the only thing I can no, do. I, I I'm not trying you. to be like women issues and, and racial issues are the same exact thing. Like that's not what I'm no, saying. No, you're either. coming
2: you're coming across clear. But, like what you're saying makes sense.
1: But yeah, so I think that's why I get so frustrated because I'm just like instead of absorbing that and being like, Whoa, it's almost like when we say Wow, men are the worst. It's like just men as a whole and this whole culture is like terrible. Like, mm-hmm. listen, it's just I walk down the street and any man, I don't care what he looks like, I really don't, coming at me, my heart starts pounding. And I try to explain that to a lot of my guy friends when When we can go back to catcalling and they say, we don't understand. It's just, we're giving you a compliment. I'm like, no, you don't understand. And that's the thing.
2: No, it's a direct assertion into somebody's space. Yeah. It's an invasion of space. Catcalling for sure. Um,
0: If there's one thing that you would want to tell listeners that you've learned or about your faith that you would want to pass on, Mm -hmm. uh, what would it be?
1: It's okay to doubt. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to ask questions. Um, It's okay to be sad. Um, I think for me, it was, and I had already kind of touched on this, but for me, it was digging more. And I don't even, for me, it didn't even look like, for me, it doesn't even look like opening up my Bible. Like, I can't tell you the last time I opened up my Bible. Like, I go in... To church and we read scripture there, or I listen to thoughtful podcasts, or I listen to the pack pew. <gasps> <Palah. laughs> um
2: Out here doing the Lord's <laughs> work. Swish.
1: <laughs> no, but seriously, I listen to other people who have also asked really hard questions, and um, I'm someone I can speak for myself. I'm go- I'm someone who grew up in the church. I know this. I know this shit. I know I've studied the Bible for years and years and years. What's important to me right now is breaking down what I've learned and relearning it, and um, looking at it with fresh eyes. And I think that's something that that's incredibly scary. And I can understand if that's something that you wouldn't want to do. But I would, I would really encourage you to surround yourself with people who are also on that journey too. Not to sound super corny, but, um, yeah, I think that's just really where. I, and it's there's something that is incredibly. There's a sense of peace I think in that. In, in in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the hurt and the pain and all of that is is knowing that there are other people in the same boat as you. So does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay, got Ladies yeah. and
2: gentlemen, Alex Dravese. Yay. Thank you so much. Thank you, you can uh find her on Instagram and Twitter at alex on the mic. Uh you can hear her sweet sweet pipes um Uh, hawking cars and other things uh, (laughs) that she is sponsored by on uh, 102.7 Kiss FM Mm -hmm.
1: 10pm to 2am Monday through Friday and 10am to 2pm on Saturdays
0: Alex thanks so much for doing this thank you love you guys coming in thank you that's it for this episode of The Back Pew we appreciate you tuning in If you would like to help us out a little bit with the show, one thing you can do is rate us on iTunes. It gives us a little more spotlight in the crowded world that is iTunes podcasts. Secondly, if you're feeling real generous, we do a little thing called Patreon, which is a way to support artists who are making stuff that you like. So we don't charge anything for this. We do it all ourselves. It used to be out of pocket until we started this about six months ago, and uh, in that time we've had some amazing people sign up to support us. Just go to patreon.com slash thebackpew. And I just want to let you guys know, this was the first episode that we did with our completely new audio setup. So, we have a new interface, we have three new mics, we did it mobily, we didn't have to sit in my tiny little Pasadena bungalow bedroom, so... If it sounded better, if you liked it, that's on you. That's on the people who supported us. They just shelled out five bucks a month. So you essentially buy us a cup of coffee once a month, which is nothing, right? You'd do that for anyone or a stranger. So if you liked it, that would help. But first of all, iTunes will take you less than two minutes to do it. Um, And that's it. We love you guys. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for listening. It means the world. We'll see you next month.